First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, through chapter 11, verse 1. I'll be reading through that entire portion, so if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, just listen as I read. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved." Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In this passage, Paul is concluding his answers to the Corinthians' questions regarding idols, eating meat or food that may have been sacrificed to idols, and participating in cultic meals or temple rituals that were explicitly or implicitly glorifying other gods. So he's dealing with all these different topics, all these questions that were raised, all these ways in which the Corinthian believers were raising these concerns or taking some action based on what they thought was knowledge, whatever they thought they should do. And as Paul stated in chapter 8, he continues here in chapter 10 to emphasize that idols, food sold in the market, or interacting with an unbeliever, even going as far as to share a meal with them, are not the issues we need to be most concerned about. What is paramount for us as children of God is to glorify God, the one to whom the whole world belongs and everything in it is His. So our goal is to glorify God, have a clear conscience about what we think and do, act for the sake of a weaker brother or sister, for the sake of their conscience, not cause anyone to stumble because of our actions or inaction, be all things to all people for the purpose of winning some to the Lord, and to not abuse our freedom in Christ in any way. That's what Paul has been talking about all through these chapters, through what we've gone through, and how he's emphasizing that this is what you need to focus on. Don't get involved. Don't major on the minors. 
focus on the major things and be focused on what the Lord is calling you to. So it's all of these truths as he's laying it out. And it is this last point that I've made, this freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, that is that truth that I want to use as the underlying theme of how we study this passage in 1 Corinthians. Because there are three main points that I want to highlight that are all related to this freedom freedom that we have in Christ and this and quite importantly how the freedom that is expressed is expressed in terms of choosing to do everything for the glory of God and the good of others the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus is so that we may do everything for the glory of God and for the sake of others. And I'll talk about that just as we uh, go through these points. But I want that to be what's, what we keep in mind. Right? As you read these scriptures, as you go back and read these verses again, what he's talking about with conscience and meat and temple and idols and everything else, as you catch up from 1 Corinthians 1 onwards all the, all the way through here, keep in mind that this is what he's talking about. So when we talk about freedoms and then say, how do we express those freedoms? We're actually choosing to do something. We're choosing to respond to the freedom of God in some very specific ways. And the first point to be made is that we choose to restrict ourselves. We choose to restrict ourselves. In chapter 6, verse 12, when addressing the topic of sexual immorality, Paul stated, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Remember when we looked at those scriptures at that time, we said Paul is quoting what the, the Corinthian believers are saying. They're saying, oh, I can do anything I want. And then he speaks specifically about the issues of sexual immorality in their midst. And he says, you are boasting about this as if you are doing something that is right. But here's what the truth of the word is. And here's what the Lord intends. And he sets them right. He corrects them. But he's quoting here in chapter 10, verse 23, a very, he makes a very similar statement. And he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. In chapter 6, Paul's refusal to indulge in certain actions, he restricted himself, he chose to restrict himself. His refusal to, to indulge in certain actions was so that he wouldn't be enslaved by or controlled by desires. He says when desire grows, it gives birth to sin. And it may be any kind of desire, anything at all, but in that context he's speaking specifically about sexual immorality. But he says when desires give way this way, when you indulge them, then you fall into sin. And sin then leads into death. And so in that context he said, I restrict myself, I choose to restrict myself, so that these things would not master me, would not be in control of me, so that they would not be how I live. I'm not enslaved to those things. Instead, I live according to the word of God. I'm not controlled in this way. I'm rather subject to and a slave to Christ. In chapter 10, hear what we read, his refusal to indulge in certain actions is to avoid anything that is destructive to our growing in the Lord. 
anything that would be destructive to our maturing as disciples of Christ. He says, I restrict myself from anything that would be destructive in that regard. And I would avoid anything that is destructive to building our relationships with God and with others. So is there something or is there some action? Is there something that my brother or sister is offended by? Is there something that I need to pay attention to with regard to my conscience, their conscience, that would affect my relationship with God and my relationship with others? Then, okay, I'm going to choose to restrict myself from those things. I have the freedom to do it, but I will choose to restrict myself so that I will not affect those relationships, so that I will be constructive in those relationships rather than destructive. And as we learned in chapter 9, we are to discipline ourselves. We're not running aimlessly. We're not merely shadow boxing. We are to discipline ourselves so that we run this race of life according to the rules, so that we don't disqualify ourselves and that we don't do anything that would defile our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. And so we say, Lord God, I want to be wholehearted towards you. I want to pursue you. I want to live for you in such a way that I will fulfill your purpose. I will finish the race. I would have kept the faith. And I'm going to come back to that point about finishing well later on. But remember that it was the Corinthians who were arguing for the permissibility of their actions. They were like, we can do anything. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We can do anything. And so Paul's response is that even if the, we have the freedom to do anything, and remember, anything in this context is qualified so that it's what is permissible in Christ. When the word explicitly forbids something, it doesn't mean that you have the freedom to go do that. right? So we're speaking about that which would be explicitly forbidden. We say, okay, and for those things that are not explicitly forbidden, even though you may have freedom, even though you may go places, you may do things, you may associate with people, you may eat whatever. He's saying that even though we are, even if we have the freedom to do anything, we willingly choose to restrict ourselves for the sake of obeying God. We deliberately choose to do that which is beneficial. We deliberately choose to do that which is constructive. Beneficial for whom? Constructive for whom? Beneficial and constructive for ourselves and others, but beneficial and constructive for others even over ourselves. That's the call that the Bible has consistently, and that's what Paul has been emphasizing. He's saying, are you willing? Are you looking to? Are you working in such a way that you will do those things that are beneficial and constructive for others over yourself? You have all sorts of freedoms. You have all sorts of rights. You have all sorts of privileges. You have all sorts of things that may be owed to you, but are you willing to forego all of those things for the sake of others. As Paul pointed out in chapter 6, verses 7 to 8, when we seek to serve others, we may be wronged, cheated, and even suffer loss. You're being as generous as you can be. You're being as kind as you can be. You're being as loving as you can be. You're trying to serve others. You're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to love them. And they wrong you. They cheat you. He says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? 
You don't pursue your rights and your privileges. Seek to build up, seek to be beneficial, seek to be constructive, even at your own harm, even at your own loss, that you would still seek to do this because when we choose to be led of the Lord to be constructive, we're saying we will build up the body of Christ. We will reach out to the unbeliever, to the person who is not yet in the body of Christ. We will strive to see all that are coming into the body of Christ to mature as disciples of Christ. We will encourage, we will give, we will pray, we will continue to do so even if we don't receive anything in return. Or we will continue to do so even if our expectations are not met. You know, most of us, or uh, you know, just all of us, um, when we give, we have some expectation, at least an acknowledgement at least a thank you, if not some kind of reciprocal behavior. But Paul is emphasizing. He says, can you or would you be willing to be constructive, to be beneficial for others, even if they don't do any of that? Even if they actually come against you? And by the way, we're coming into the example of Jesus in just a minute, but you know as I'm saying this, that Jesus is the best sort of, you know, personification of this, right? I mean, he did everything for everybody, and they rejected him. They attacked him. They crucified him. So here, Paul is saying, we continue to give in this way. We continue to be constructive and beneficial for others. We are willing to forego our rights and privileges for the sake of others. Which means that as we choose not to do what we could, and choose not to expect or require what is owed, we do choose to do what is beneficial and constructive for others, and we do choose to glorify God. We choose to glorify God. We choose to restrict ourselves and what we think we should do and how things should come to us, but we also choose to glorify God. In verse 31, Paul writes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. He uses the phrase eat or drink because of the context of what he's talking about and meat and idols and everything else. And he says, whatever, if you're eating or drinking, do it all for the glory of God. But he makes it very clear that glorifying God is not restricted to just what we eat or drink. Everything we do should be to glorify God. Although we're free to do anything, we choose to do only that which glorifies God. There's a conscious and continuous self-evaluation and a commitment to be led by the Holy Spirit and to act according to the will of God. This is not accidental. It's not the accidental Christian. This is the very intentional, diligent, deliberate Christian who says, I am paying attention to what the Lord is saying, what the Lord is doing, and I will glorify him in everything that I do. Now, our reality is that we are not continuously self-aware. We are not, you know, all you have to do is watch people on the road to know that people are not self-aware, right? We are not self-aware. We don't pay attention to what we think and say and do. We just do it. 
Some of those things are shaped by our past. Some of those things are, are affected by our present. Some of those things are driven by our fears for the future. But we just, we just do stuff. We don't stop. We don't put a guard on our tongues. We don't consider the impact of our actions. We just go ahead and do it. And the point here is that when we don't realize that what we're thinking, saying, or doing is not glorifying God, we are ignorant of the fact that we are violating this word of God. When Paul says, in everything glorify God, and we're not even conscious of what we're doing, how do you know, and in fact, I can tell you quite assuredly, you are probably doing a number of things that are not glorifying God. You're just not paying attention to it. You just go about your life. At the end of the week, you say, oh, on the whole, pretty good, right? Did I glorify God? Yeah, 90% of the time, I think. Maybe it was 60, but you know, we say, oh, I'm doing okay. But we're not con continuously self-aware. We're not paying attention. And so the question or the challenge for us is that we must learn to choose to pay attention to everything that we say or think or do. That we would say, Lord God, if what I'm doing is meant to glorify you, help me to pay attention to it. Our thoughts matter to God. That's why the Bible speaks about taking our thoughts captive. If our thoughts didn't matter to God, why would he ask us to do that? He would have said, you think whatever you want, just don't say it. Right? And our words matter to God. That's why Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit the hearer. Why speak like that? He could have said, oh, you can, you know, you can say whatever you want. Just make sure that you act in a holy way. No. Our thoughts matter to God. Our words matter to God. Our actions matter to God. Even something as regular or mundane as what we eat and drink matters to God. Everything matters to God. And if everything matters to God, how can we know what is right and what is wrong? How can we discern what is good what is evil? Well, chapter 11, verse 1 gives us that answer when it says that we choose to imitate Christ. What Paul is driving us to, what Paul is pointing out, is that we would be children of God who say, I choose to restrict myself, I choose to glorify God, and I choose to imitate Christ. I choose to imitate Christ. I make an intentional I, I take some intentional actions here. And when we talk about this, when we describe this, imitating Christ doesn't mean that you're about replicating exactly what he did or how he did it, his methods. Oh, he spat on the ground and he put mud on the you know, blind man's eyes. That's what I must do. I must use that method. I must imitate that. Or he, you know, he spoke to somebody like this. That's what I must do. I must imitate that. Or this is how he you know, taught. I must imitate that. It, it, imitating Christ here is not about trying to replicate what he did or how he was doing this. Imitating Christ is to follow the pattern, the example, to understand and to apply the example of Christ in what? In loving God, glorifying God, 
obeying God, resisting the devil, manifesting the power and authority of the kingdom of God, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, loving others, discipling others, serving others, bearing witness to the truth, enduring all things, overcoming and achieving the will of God. Jesus did that and he was consistent in doing that. So we say it's not about the method, it's not about the timing, it's not about his appearance and attire and all of that. It is about these things. How did he go about loving God and loving others? How did he go about manifesting the power of God? How did he go about emphasizing the truth of God and where he says I have come to bear witness to the truth? How did he do that? What did he do? How did he live? What was the consistency of his life? That's what I need to look to. That's what I need to pay attention to. Now, we can all agree that Jesus is our perfect example. Right? We say, oh, oh, of course, Jesus, yes. You know, the answer to every question is Jesus. The Sunday school student was asked, you know, what is, you know, who, who, was, who built the ark? And he thought for a while, and he considered it, and he said, I think it was Noah, but... I think the answer is Jesus, you know, because, the, because he had heard that Jesus is the answer for everything. Every question, Jesus is the answer, right? Well, we may, we may chuckle about that and we may say, okay, you know, that's our Sunday school experience. Jesus is the answer. You know, we sing the song, we do everything. But you know what? It's true. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the one that is in relationship with us. Jesus is the one that we look to and we keep our eyes fixed on. And he is the author and he is the finisher and he's the sustainer and he's the one who has to lead and guide and direct our steps. And so we look to Jesus. But you know what happens many times? We look to Jesus and we say, well, Jesus was too perfect. There's no way that I can attain that level there's no way that I can truly follow his example, so I won't even try. Right? But Paul doesn't actually direct us to imitate Christ directly. He doesn't actually start that way. He says, imitate him. Imitate, Paul is saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And you know what happens with that? We look at people around us. So we look at Jesus and we say, unattainable. We look at people and we say, ungodly. Right? And so we say, no point trying to follow that example. Look at what they're doing. So we discard Jesus because it's too hard to get to, too hard to attain. And we discard other people because we say, oh, there's no way I'm going to do that. I won't do that. And what, what happens? we finally decide that there's no example worth following and we live according to ourselves. We become the standard for ourselves. And we say and we do, just as it's mentioned in the book of Judges, what we think is good in our own eyes, in our own mind. We decide, this is good, this is right, I know what needs to be done. That's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. And they said, well, you know, I, I know what needs to be done. But the point that Paul is making when he says, follow me as I follow Christ, follow the things that Christ has ordained for us, is that means that there is some things that we can do. There's something very practical here. He's not speaking about an unattainable goal. 
The things that the Bible calls us to are not call, calling us to something that is impossible. When the Lord says, be holy, he's not saying, and I know you can never be holy. He's giving us the standard to which we have to go attain and saying, you can get here only through me. When he says, don't speak unwholesome words, he's not saying, I know that you'll never speak unwholesome words. He's saying, this is how your tongue can be tamed by the Holy Spirit. When he says, be perfect, he's not meaning in any way that we are perfect people. But he is saying that when you rely on me and the Holy Spirit to perfect you, to bring you into what needs to be done, then you will experience the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, the perfecting work of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. All of these standards that the Lord calls us to are ultimately to bring us to him, not to ourselves, not to our own abilities, not to our strength, not to our... our hands, but rather to say, I surrender to you, Lord. I have to depend on you. I have to have you leading and guiding and directing my steps. So how can we get out of our own way of thinking? And how can we imitate Christ? And how can we find those around us that we can imitate as they imitate Christ? How should we do this? Well, knowing the pattern of Jesus' life, being able to say this is the pattern that Jesus established, this is the example that I can follow, requires us studying the word of God. It requires us spending time with Jesus. It requires us being in that relationship with him. If you don't know him, you can't follow him. If you don't know what he did, you can't follow his example. If you don't know what he said, you can't speak like him. You can't have that pattern in your life. So it requires us spending time with Jesus. It requires us saying, Lord, help me to understand what you said. Let the Holy Spirit bring light in these words that you have spoken so that this word will be deeply in my heart and I will know that this is what you have done and I can do the same. So we spend time with Jesus. We look to Jesus. We say, Jesus, because of what you have done and what, what you demonstrated when you walked on this earth, that living as a man, fully man, subject to all the things and the temptations and the issues that I am subject to. Lord, I thank you that I can look to you. I thank you that I can speak to you. I thank you that you will give me your truth and your life. <clears throat> but as we do that, as we follow Jesus, how do you find others around you that are also following Jesus? Well, that requires observation and discernment. With Jesus, you can almost... You know, without even discerning anything, you can say, well, if he did it, I, I get it. But when the Bible speaks about following others as they follow Christ, clearly it's speaking about having discernment. Discerning good and evil, right and wrong. Watching, observing, so that you can say, is there consistency? Is there a way in which I can gain something from what this person is doing. And John points out in 3 John 1, 11, not to imitate what is evil, but what is good. That means you have to have discernment to know whether it's evil or it's good. That's what is required. You can't go into that situation and say, this person is doing this. They say that they're a you know, man of God or a woman of God. They say that they're following God. It must be good. No. You have to have discernment. 
You have to be able to imitate what is good, not what is evil. And so there is a need for us to pay attention to what the person is doing and how they're doing this. And as I mentioned earlier, there is a need for us to watch the entire arc of someone's life. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, it's, this is what the word says, Remember your leaders who spoke or taught the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Consider how they lived their lives till the end and imitate their faith. What's the point? Not just to be discerning of evil and good in their lives, but to look for the consistency, look for that lifelong pattern, look for that way in which this person is living out what they claim. Will people do it perfectly? No, they will not. If you think that you're going to find the person who is doing it perfectly, you will be disappointed. But you are discerning what they're saying, doing, and acting in with the wisdom of God, by the Holy Spirit. And so you're able to say, I see this that is good, I will imitate that. I see this that is evil, I won't imitate that. That's the point that we want to get to. That's what we want to do when we look at others around us and we look to how the Lord can lead us. You know, in Philippians chapter 4, when Paul is speaking about the peace of God, and he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and speaks of what our minds would be set on when it is guarded by the peace of God. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then he says right after that, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What's he saying? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You be led by the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit guards your heart and mind. When your heart and mind are given to the Lord and guarded by the Holy Spirit, you will be setting your mind on these things, those things that are true and noble and right and pure and so on. And as you set your mind on these things, you will have the discernment of God so that what you have seen in me that is worth imitating, you can imitate. And when you do that, when you put into practice those things that you're seeing, those things that that are examples of what Christ has done, then the God of peace will be with you. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, or there will be those that stand before the Lord in judgment, and they will say, Lord, we did these things in your name. We did these things in your name. We lived in these ways. And the response back to them, it's a heartrending kind of response, right? The Lord says, Depart from me, I never knew you. Not I didn't approve of what you did. Not you were you know, wrong some of the time. Not anything else. He says, I never knew you. What were these folks doing? 
They were just like the sons of Sceva who were imitating what they saw. They were imitating what they heard. They were imitating something. And they said, I'm doing this in the name of the Lord. I'm driving out demons. I'm doing this stuff. I'm declaring the truth. I, they were imitating something. But they were actually not even knowing the Lord. So I keep coming back to this point to say this as we conclude on this and to say, look, this is what we need to pay attention to. We, when we respond and apply, we want to respond and apply this word of God so that we will be those that others can imitate. Don't wait till you find that perfect person who you can imitate. Imitate Christ so that others can imitate you. Live with that goal. Be imitable, right? Live in such a way that somebody else can imitate you. That somebody can look at what you do, what you think, what you say, and how you conduct yourself and say, I want to do that. I want to do that. Not because I'm just going to imitate that person, but because I know Christ. I see that this person is following Christ. I see that this person is imitating Christ. I want to do the same. I want to imitate Christ too. We would live our lives in such a way that people around us should say, what do you have? What do you know? What do you, how do you live like this? How is it that you are intentional, deliberate, self-aware, continuously evaluating, making changes, growing, changing, developing, maturing? How is it that this is possible? And we would say, it is because of Jesus. It is because of Christ. It is because of him crucified. I am dead to self and I am living because of Christ. So our goal, our, our call, our challenge, our everything is to say, Lord God, I respond. I respond to this word. I respond by imitating Christ, by following the pattern that he has set for me. And I respond by living in such a way that others will want to imitate me. Maybe your children. Maybe your spouse. Maybe somebody else, colleague at work. Maybe someone, someone else, some other acquaintance somewhere. Do you live in such a way that they will say, I want to imitate Christ as you imitate Christ? Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a word that, Father, challenges us. It causes us, Lord, to go beyond ourselves, to seek the good of others, Lord, to live beyond our capabilities, to, Lord, be diligent to pursue a goal that we know in and of ourselves and our strength is unattainable, but yet, when we surrender our lives to you, when we are led by the Holy Spirit, when we pay attention to what you would do in us, I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to something that is so glorious, that you've called us to be children of God who imitate their heavenly Father. Lord God, help us to look more like you, to speak like you, to think like you. Lord, for those around us to say he's the spitting image of his Father. Lord God, let us imitate you so that others may imitate us. So that we would set an example, we would set a pattern, we would be consistent, we would live in such a way that, Lord, people around us would say, I want to know this God that you know. Grant us grace for that, Lord. 
Father, we thank you that right now your word is at work in our hearts and we yield to your word. We ask you, Lord, to have your way. We ask you, Lord, to transform us into your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.